Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Uh, usually I make up some bit about where I, you know, because I cover them, that means I was doing X. I think you know what I was doing over the last uh, day or so, and that is covering what is still the craziest uh, franchise going uh the Jim Ursay comments on Tuesday at the league meetings saying there is quote merit end quote to removing Dan Snyder as owner obviously made a lot of air uh, got a lot of attention and understandably so it's wild to hear a, an owner talk about another owner in such a way but there's also football to discuss the commanders are playing uh, this week, coming off the win last week, now they've got Green Bay, and they're going to do it with Taylor Heineke at quarterback. Now that Carson Wentz is out, uh, having uh, so he had surgery on his ring finger, so we've got plenty to discuss. To do that, it's when it's the middle of the week. That means former Washington head coach Jay Gruden joined me. We talked. Uh, we didn't really get into the Thursday win that that happened so long ago and so many other things have happened in between but we did discuss the quarterback change what that could mean for the offense for Terry McLaurin you know what does Jay think is is going to happen with, with Heineke we talked a little bit about the defense um, but we talked about some other topics around the league as well what does he think about some of these quarterbacks like Russell Wilson who are struggling uh, what's going on around the league we, we, we had a little Kirk Cousins uh, talk as well and uh, always a fun discussion with jay so we'll get to that in a moment but that's not it in addition i'm talking to you right now on wednesday night the washington wizards just opened up the regular season they beat the indiana pacers and as a fun experiment i brought in our friend joe house from the ringer noted wizards fan we did our we recorded a podcast as we've done many times before, but we did it while watching the fourth quarter of the Wizards Pacers game. Uh, we talked about a couple things were happening in the moment. We, we talked sort of like a season preview of the Wizards thoughts on pretty much every player on the roster uh, and where we think the Wizards are at. We, we you know, try to be positive because it's opening night and this is when things can be positive. But, you know, we're, we're also realists. And we, we said what we had to say about uh, this team. All right, so I'll get to that after Jay Gruden. So a really fun episode. I think you guys will like it a lot. And I will say, for those of you who are sort of commanders only, I would say the last 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes or so of my conversation with Joe, we did talk about the commanders, uh, the Heineke aspect of all. Joe was asking me, what do I think the vibe of the players is about the quarterback switch? And we talked about what do we think? What do we think the Jim Ursay? Uh, what means? What, what what's what's going to happen with the Jim Ursay comments? Does that spring uh, forward a a uh, resurgent effort to move on from Dan Snyder? Um, Jay Gruden and I talked about that a little bit as well, but um, talked about it more with Joe House. So there's plenty here for everybody. So check it out. Of course, if you haven't previously subscribed encourage you to do so uh you can do that on itunes spotify you know anywhere you do your podcasting as well as uh, if you do it on the athletic you get it ad free click on my story any of my stories to get it to get uh 
to, to sign up. And I will have a new I had a story up Wednesday about how the level of distraction that this Jim Ursay situation. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Not the Jim Ursay situation. The Dan Snyder situation is for the players trying to focus on winning a game. In addition, I'll have a story up on Thursday about Taylor Heineke. I spoke to Taylor Heineke a couple of weeks ago for a kind of a different story, um, but I use some of that to um, for this one. So a lot of us have Taylor Heineke stories out today, but mine's got a little bit of a unique angle. Hopefully you'll check that out. All right, uh, before we get to Jay and to House, let me just go through a couple of quick things here about the football team. So, yes, Taylor Heineke starting, Sam Howell, the number two. They signed Jake Fromm, the former Georgia star, uh, to the practice squad. I wouldn't count on him being anything more than just a guy case of emergency, So, but he exists, and that's, that's fine. Uh, you know, again, we talked about this the other day when I had Mike Smeltz on the podcast. I think going with Heineke makes the most sense. They're still in the mode to try to win, regardless of what any of us think about their upside. This is their life. This is their job their careers, and they're only right now, you know, at two and four, they're one game out of the team that currently holds the seventh uh, and fi- the, the seventh playoff spot. So you got to keep going until you can't. Uh, that said, you got Green Bay this week, a team that's struggling. These are the two worst teams when it comes to percentage of drives that end up with points. Washington is last. Um, and Green Bay has not looked good, but, you know, they have Aaron Rodgers. This is obviously a big spot for these guys to get a win. They follow up that next week uh, at Indianapolis, which is, of course, an amazing moment because we thought we would get a Carson Wentz game against the team that just traded him. Instead, we'll get Jim Irsay and Rob and uh, Dan Snyder's teams going head to head. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I, I think that Heineke. Look, we all we get it. He's a gamer. Um, part of what I wrote in my story, though, is there seems like an extra calmness to him. It's like a calm confidence. Just when we've been around him the last several weeks in the locker room, you know, he is, he, he feels very sure of himself. Not saying he didn't before, but, he, you know, he, his, he, before he was sort of playing with his like hair on fire. I actually asked Heineke about this today. And he said that he admitted that there was some, it was a bit overwhelming at times last year, getting thrown in from you know, a guy who had, you know, not been playing just starting 15 games, and that from that, he has learned how now to better approach a week in the NFL as a starter and thinks that'll help him out. Uh, you know, he obviously also did some training this offseason to help his arm, his footwork, things like that. So uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what Taylor Heineke does and, and how these players respond. Uh, again, Joe House and I got into a bunch of this as well, so you can check that out at the end of the podcast. Uh, from an injury perspective, Jahan Dodson, was a limited participant today having after missing the previous two games with a hamstring injury. That's a good sign. Uh, Sam Cosme, potentially a good sign. He was out there today with a club on his left hand, but he was a limited participant. I, if you haven't seen it yet, I don't know if you check out the uh, video that the, that the team puts out the stream of Ron Rivera's press conference. I was towards the back of the list, but my questions for Rivera focused on in the name of putting out your best five linemen, have they considered moving Cosby to right guard, seeing that Lucas has played well 
Cornelius Lucas has played well at right tackle, and something Cosme is um, better suited as a guard. And Rivera said that it was a reasonable thought and a reasonable idea, but that he didn't want to talk about it too much because he doesn't want to give away Green Bay potential plans. And then I asked a follow-up about the line between something you maybe think you need to do right now versus if you think Cosme is a long-term answer at right tackle, do you want to move him? And he kind of again went back to, well, I don't want to tell Green Bay what we might be doing. I guess my thought is it felt like a doth protest too much situation. Um, Look, we don't even know if Cosme will be playing this week. Again, he had a club on his hand. It was a limited participant. But whenever he gets back out there, as it stands, I kind of wonder if that is the best move. I'm not saying Sadiq Charles has been bad at guard, and Andrew Norwell did have a much better game against the Bears than he had the previous week or two. But Lucas has just been solid whenever they've needed him, and I just kind of think that could be a, a good way to go. But anyway, something to keep in mind there. Uh, Logan Thomas and John Bates, neither one of them practiced today. Bates left the Bears game in warm after suffering an injury in warmups. Thomas is still de- dealing with a calf injury. He told us today, Logan Thomas did that. He feels like he made strides uh, over the last couple of days, but he didn't practice. So we'll see if he's not out there by tomorrow. That to me would be uh, an indication he doesn't play. The team did bring back fullback Alex Arma to the practice squad. Arma practice with the tight ends all summer and did so again today so you had cole turner you had armani rogers and arma as the only tight ends out there so we'll see if they're not if bates or thomas is not out there tomorrow i would assume they won't play sunday but you know obviously these guys are are tough guys and we'll see how that goes all right uh let's uh go from there jay gruden and i talked a bunch about where things are with the commanders and then joe house and i like i said we, we 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 did a fun talking through the Wizards fourth quarter, and then we got into Commander's stuff as well. Look forward uh, for you uh, to hearing what you guys think about this one. You know you can hit me up at Ben Standig or email me whenever you want at bstandig at theathletic.com. All right, here we go. Um, we'll start with Jay Gruden and then Joe House here on the Standig Room Only podcast. All right, welcoming him back to the his weekly spot on the podcast former washington head coach jay gruden and and jay like typically i start these off with like asking how was the sports bar the other day sunday for me at least covering this team and everything that's happened feels like a month ago and the game they played on thursday feels like a year ago um <laughs> nonetheless how is the sports bar it was good. A lot of good football out there. A lot of bad football, but uh, it's very interesting to watch these guys play and the, the you know, the how these teams win games now. The closeness of this this league is uh, pretty pretty wild right now. You know, Tom Brady made that comment a couple of weeks ago that he's seeing a lot of bad football out there, and you know, since then, the amount of times I've watched a game, including seemingly everyone involved with Denver, and you know, typically the ones I'm involved with the team I cover, have just been even worse. And like, I don't recall thinking after, after watching so many games of how bad the football is, or do I mean, do do you kind of feel that as well that we, we really have kind of gone down in terms of the quality of play? I think uh, a little bit. Yeah. I think the quality of play has gone down, especially the, the, the backups, Uh, the depth of some of these teams is very limited. 
you look at these teams that lose a couple players on their team and they can't hardly function. You know, the, the backups aren't holding up their end of the bargain. And it's been a struggle for a lot of these teams to continue to stay competitive when they lose key players. You know, the um, I don't know if it, when you see quarterbacks like Russell Wilson, who historically has been a, you know, a pretty good quarterback and even Aaron Rodgers last week and some others struggle, you know, there, there becomes a question of like, you know, are these guys, you know, taking a, taking a step down or whatever. But it feels like whenever I watch these games where the te- the offenses are struggling, the line is just completely leaky. They're, they're just giving up tons of pressure. And obviously that's what's going on here. Is, is the, is, I can't remember if we talked about this last week or not, but is the offensive line play? I, I don't know if I've recalled seeing it worse collectively than, than I have in the games I've seen this year. Yeah, I, I don't know if this is factual or not. It just seems like that that early in the year, these offensive lines trying to gel and get together. Then you have some injuries and they have problems. Typically towards midseason, later in the year, these guys start to play better uh, once they play together with each other for some time. A lot of mixed and match parts that uh, just aren't fitting right now in a lot of these teams' offensive lines, and it's been a struggle for them. But I think as the season goes on, these guys get more and more playing time together, allow, assuming they stay healthy. I think a lot of these offenses will get better. I always think that other than quarterback, the number one spot that I would want to invest in if I'm building a team is the offensive line. I mean, maybe the defensive line as well, but if I'm investing in the quarterback, I need the offensive line to make him, you know, be able to do his job as best as possible. Um, And, you know, when you were here, of course, you had Trent Williams. You you inherited him. You guys draft Brandon Scherf, two guys who were basically at a Pro Bowl level their, their whole time, and then you had other pieces around them. I mean, it just seems like to me that that would be the way I would go. Or maybe I'm just reacting to the moment even more than normal. But to me, i got to build up my offensive line as much as I do anything else. Yeah, typically in the draft, you should have, you should have at least three draft picks for the offensive line, whether it's second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, I don't care. you got to get offensive linemen. you got to get numbers in there. Um, because once the draft is over, the free agent lineman is pretty limited as far as whether they can help you or not. There are some, obviously, that will uh, you get lucky with. But for the most part, need to draft them you know we drafted morgan moses spencer long chase really uh obviously brandon sheriff uh, we had some pretty good draft picks uh, that played for a lot of minutes that helped us out a lot um some that didn't fare out so well but you have to take that because of the injury risk and, and you have to have nine or ten linemen going into a game or uh ready to play um on your roster because of the injuries heck we went through about 35 one year uh, when i was there my last two years we went we went through i can't tell you how many offensive linemen <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we all remember that one game at, at Seattle when I, you guys had four. We talked about this before. You guys had four different uh, linemen in there and somehow still won the game on the road. Nobody thought you guys would win. So it can it can happen, but it's not a pretty way to go. Um, before we go back to the to the team we, we, we typically talk about, since we're mentioning some of these struggles, I am just curious. We just saw Russell Wilson in the in Denver play on um, Monday night. and We've seen him play on national TV two weeks in a row. And they just look like an absolute mess on offense. And the Russell Wilson component of this is interesting because, you know, this was a guy that obviously a lot of teams had interested in this offseason, including this one. And Denver, you know, gave up a bunch of picks. They just paid a bunch of money to for him. And it is looking like an absolute wreck right now. Are you seeing anything with him that suggests that he this may be a legit down you know, decline? I know you said that slow starts happen and people get better but just are you seeing anything with him that would, would give you pause 
Uh, no, I, I think he's struggling and it's a legit struggle. I think he struggled last year at Seattle as well. And, uh, part of the reason Seattle probably wanted to part ways with them is, is maybe they saw Geno Smith in practice every day and he's throwing the ball as good or better. And, uh, they want to roll with him, but yeah, Russell's struggling. He's struggling getting the ball out of his hands, struggling seeing, uh, downfield and, uh, making the plays that he normally makes outside the pocket. He made a couple in the first half last week that were really good that he saw flashes of the old Russell Wilson, but over the course of a game, his first six games, the consistency is nowhere near it should be where it should be for a guy of his caliber, especially with the weapons they have. I mean, they got Jerry, Judy, Hamler, and Cortland Sutton on their team, and they got good backs. I mean, they're not even playing. Uh, they're Melvin Gordon, and uh, they got Murray and Boone, and they're pretty good. So it's very it's head-scratching to uh, figure out why they're struggling as much as they are. Do you know him at all, Russell Wilson? No, I interviewed him at the Combine for 15 minutes. That's about it. <laughs> got it. Because I was talking to somebody um, – sort of you know around the team as it were and um he kind of said some of the similar things that you did but that because russell wilson's let's just say that is a unique personality that his quirkiness doesn't work as well when he's not winning when he's not playing well and i think that's like another variable there and, and obviously at that position you know washington has that to some degree with carson wentz because there was a lot of the uh questions about how he fits in with the locker room in his other two spots, I haven't noticed an issue here yet, but um, that it, it, right is that such a fine line? It's one thing if these quarterbacks are eccentric, but they better be winning. That's exactly right. If you're going to come in with all that money uh, and do all those commercials and have all this publicity and you don't perform to the capabilities which you're supposed to be performing, there could be an issue. You know, these guys look at you with kind of one eye open, one eye closed, like, man, what's going on? I mean, you got to start earning your paycheck a little bit here, making some plays. And uh, he's got to step it up. They're two and four right now. They're obviously still not out of it in the division out there, but uh, he's got a long way to go. They got a long way to go offensively. <laughs> well, well, speaking of one eye open, one eye closed, uh, yesterday, meaning Tuesday, was a, a wild day in the NFL and, and for this beat specifically because we had an actual owner of another team, Jim Ursay, come out and say that he thinks there is, quote, merit, end quote, to potentially removing Dan Snyder from owner of this team. We don't have to get into the specifics of the case, whatever, but like you've been around this league for a long time. Would you have imagined that you would see an owner of another team come out and say anything publicly like that about another owner of another team? If I did hear something, it would be Jim Irsay. He's been, never been uh, shy about his words, what he thinks about the league or the whatever. He's always come out and uh, stated his opinion, um, whether anybody wants to hear it or not. But that is surprising because that's a tight group what I understand and every owner's meeting I've ever been in uh, for the most part, there are some owners that don't like each other. Uh, but for somebody to come out and say something uh, as bold as that is surprising. You know, the rest of us who, who aren't worth a billion dollars are, you know, fascinated by the, by the lot, by the stories of the rich and famous, um, you know, you were, you know, you, you, you were in that world to an extent, you don't have a billion dollars, I don't think, but uh, you know, you, you're a head coach, you're in those areas. Like, is it in, as intriguing to you what goes on in those meetings and be between those people as it is for the rest of us? It is. It really is. It's uh, quite entertaining when you sit in there with all those guys and with all that money and, and how they handle themselves. And it, it's There's some interesting people. Um, you got to have a lot of respect for the accomplishments they've had in their life in order to get all the money that they have. Uh, in the same time, you're like, Sometimes you're like, how the hell did you get this money? I mean, what are they saying? But uh, <laughs> it's, it's uh, for the most part, they're all pretty good people. And, uh, you know, they just have trouble, you know, 
running football teams sometimes because they don't really know football. They know money, but they don't know football. So, you know, they, they make some poor decisions at times. That, that That is what is so fascinating about this is like, typically when somebody is making their money, it's in an industry that they know about. Like if, if it's coming from that way, as opposed to like Jim Irsay and essentially inherited the Colts, right? They know, they know something. They, 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 they develop the product. They, they know how to run people, whatever it is that put them in that position to get the money. But when they then come to buy a sports team, it is often something completely different. It's a vanity thing. They want to do it. I mean, who, you know, it'd be fun to own a team, obviously. Right. But they don't know anything. So I always wonder, like, how do they even start? How do they know who to advise them to hire the GM, to hire the coach? And then even from there, how do you avoid being the fantasy football owner, which is what I think a lot of people believe correctly that happened here with, with, with Snyder? Like, that part is so wacky to me. You have this huge investment, this really important public trust, and you don't know necessarily how to run it. I think the good owners who've had a lot of success have done it the right way. They've hired good people. And they let them run the team. You know, you look at the New England Patriots, and and I don't think Robert Kraft does a, has a whole lot to say about the football operations. I think that he lets his quality people run his organization. I think uh, Mike Brown, uh, who I work for, I think he's one of the few owners that actually knows the game of football. He, he He's awesome. He sits in all the coaches' meetings and uh, player uh, development meetings and, and personnel meetings. and uh, He makes decisions based on what he sees and, and what he listens to with the staff. But the other owners who have success hire good people, and the ones that don't uh, have trouble hiring the right people, and, and and they try to stick their hand in the pot maybe too often. Yeah, well, look, I mean, you know, we we, we know that went on around here. We talked, uh, you know, plenty about uh, the owner uh, coming in off the yacht to make the call or calling in from the yacht to make the call to draft a quarterback. You're like you're going into your last year, so we know those things can happen. Um, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll take you off the the, the 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 hot seat on that one. Let's go back yeah. to football. At the end of the day, it is their team, and they have the power to do what they want. So, I mean, you have to respect the fact that they got the money to buy a team. And I used to tell people all the time, if you're not happy, go buy your own team. Uh, I can't. Well, okay, then. Shut up and do what you're told. So <laughs> there's a lot of truth to that statement as well. So, uh, but, yeah, I think uh, there's, there's some issues with some owners, you know, making decisions that they don't really know about but for the most part it is their team they can do what they want yeah for sure um with that all that said needless to say every team can have distractions at some points right i mean we mentioned denver their distraction is right now how do you get russell wilson going what's going on with nathaniel hackett is the first year coach that's more or at least things you're used to dealing with at various levels of football what's going on with washington is of course completely chaotic in the sense that it's just this other outside the field news and I wrote a story today on The Athletic about, you know, players can say it's not a distraction, but clearly it has to be. They're human beings, even the ones, maybe some have this uh, incredible tunnel vision, but others, you know, whatever, they, 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 they're on social media. They talk to people. We ask questions. It comes up. It has to weigh on you to some degree. As a guy who, I mean, it feels like it's even more intense now, but you obviously were here. How hard of it is it to maintain focus for yourself and to get the players to stay focused and not worry about this other noise when you're prepping for a big game like these guys are against Green Bay? Yeah, I think there is uh, some truth to that. It can be a distraction, unfortunately, but the players have to understand they shouldn't really comment on, on things that they don't know anything about or they're not a part of. They should really only comment on what they can 
do themselves to help the team win football games and anything outside the org- or inside the organization that they're not a part of, they shouldn't be concerned about. They should be concerned about their team that they're getting ready to play and uh, get ready for that team and figure out how to get to the third win against the Green Bay Packers. And that's it. Um, it's easier said than done. I understand that. But at the end of the day, players play, coaches coach, and the rest of the deal, the owners do what they do off the field or uh, in the in, behind closed doors. I don't know, but uh, it's their job to play and, and win games. I don't know if this is a question even makes sense, but what does it mean to that this, something can be a distraction like that? Is it like you're trying to focus on the uh, watching game tape, but your mind is wandering to, you know, what the hell's happening now, or people keep asking questions or like you're in the game and like maybe fans are now booing more because these other things, like w- what is it for you as a coach or what you recognize for the players? What does having a distraction like this mean? Typically, distractions come up more when you lose and you're not winning. So anytime you're not winning, people are going to look for distractions or excuses as to why you're not winning. At the end of the day, the Washington football team or commanders are two and four, not because of what's going on off the field, because they haven't made plays on third down. They haven't converted in the red zone. They haven't got turnovers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the only reason. So uh, if they focus on that, then they have a chance to dig themselves out of the hole and turn the season around. Um, all right, let's talk some football. There's a quarterback change here this week. I, I assume you're aware. Uh, Carson Wentz fractured his finger against the bears. He had surgery. We don't know exactly how long he'll be out, but a, a, a few weeks, maybe a month or so. Taylor Heineke now back under center. We have seen Taylor Heineke play with his team, with his coaching staff. So there won't be an issue of familiarity, but there is a question of what is this going to look like now that we've gotten a look at Wentz. Uh, what, what's your just general view? They're going from Wentz to Heineke in this short week. Do you think this is a uh, disaster? Is this potentially a, a good thing because of how Heineke can play in Scott Turner's offense? What, what do you kind of make of it immediately? Well, I think it could be a good thing. You know, I think the struggles on third down are real. And I think Taylor could bring a little bit of juice to that situational type of game where he could scramble and use his legs and convert some third downs, which will keep drives going and keep the defense a little bit more fresh. There's some merit to that. Yes, they'll lose the deep ball accuracy or the deep ball threat that Carson has, but they will gain some uh, toughness and some ability for runs outside the pocket and some off script plays with Taylor. So it could be some good things. You know, you look at some of these other teams, their quarterbacks went down and, and they fared pretty well. Bradley Zappi, I think that's his name, but new England's done pretty good. Um, you know, there's some other teams that have had to play their backup quarterback. Obviously uh, Cooper Rush did some good things for Dallas, kept them afloat. So uh, this could be a good thing. You know, backup quarterbacks have to play and, uh, when their opportunities called, they have to be ready, and Taylor will be ready. Well, and you mentioned Bailey Zappi, the rookie for the Patriots, who's done pretty well. I think he was the quarterback pick right before Sam Howe. Um, now, Zappi is their third quarterback. They had Matt Jones. He got hurt. They had Brian Hoyer. He got hurt. They turned to Zappi, and that's what it would take for Sam Howell to get in at this point. I don't know how much you watched of Sam Howell at Carolina, but you know he's interesting. Uh, he was a potential first-round pick before the start of his last season in college. And um, it didn't work out that way. As you're sitting here, if you're in Ron Rivera's seat, you're you're two and four. It's not, I mean, the record speaks for itself, but the play feels worse, right? They barely beat the Bears. I know if a win's a win from a coach, and you'll probably yell at me for discounting the win, but like, you know, it wasn't the prettiest of wins. And we've seen Taylor Heineke. He was basically a 500 quarterback last year, but there's reasons that people don't view him as a starter. I don't know if Sam Howell's a starter, but I know that he's got some interesting intangibles. He's got 
Heineke's moxie with a bigger arm. Would you, how would you as a coach view this of we're here, we're here's where we are. We don't know how exactly long Wentz will be out. Do you go with the, it, it seems to make sense to go with the experienced guy, but the other quarterback might have more upside. And in the year where, like I said, it's not like this is looking like a contender. Does it make sense to go and see what this guy can do? How, how do you kind of assess that? Well, first of all, they still are in contention without a doubt. If you look at the NFC and the parity, obviously the NFC East might get away from them. But as far as wild card situations concerned, uh, there's a lot of three and three teams. Uh, there's a lot of two and four teams. So they, they're, they're still right in the thick of things. So they have to play the quarterback that gives them the best chance to win right now. Um, now, if that doesn't take place and they lose the next couple, two or three games, and yeah, I think you look to maybe Sam Howell if he's uh, performing well enough in practice where the coaches say, yes, this guy could be ready. We can get him ready to play. But if they think Taylor's a guy that can help them win against Green Bay, number one, they have to play Taylor. Um, down the road, maybe Sam will get some reps. But right now, I think they go with the guy they feel like can lead them to victory against Green Bay. There's be, no- I don't know what they're thinking. I haven't seen enough of Hal. I mean, they may go to Hal. I don't know. I, I'm sure that they're going to Heineke, but there could be a possibility to go to Hal if, if he's been, you know, throwing the ball really well in practice over the last six weeks. And he played pretty well in the preseason. So um, there is a small possibility, but I believe Heineke gives them the best chance right now. My, my contention before the season started was if Wentz got hurt in the first half of the year, they definitely would go to Heineke, which is what's happening. If he got hurt later in the year, then I would wonder, do they see that Hal has developed enough for them to feel comfortable? Obviously, Heineke knows the system, but Hal's got more of the, you know, again, again the stronger arm, uh, you know, the more upside, whatever. Uh, so if Wentz is out for a while and, yeah, they, these games go the wrong way, I could see them turning to Hal later in the year, but I still think we're probably several weeks away from that potential even happening. Yeah, I agree. I agree totally. Um, like I said, they're still right in the thick of things. They get a win against Green Bay, they're right back in it. You know, if they convert on those three one-yard plays at Tennessee, they're three and three, and they're right in the thick of things. But uh, they still have – their defense has to continue to play well. they got to run the ball a little bit better, uh, and Heineke gives them the best chance to win right now. Um, You know what? I, I just thought about this. So, so Wentz is hurt. You know, things happen. It was a, kind of a freak injury. He, he was already dealing with the shoulder, but he's throwing the ball and on the follow through his hand, wax a helmet looked like of Charles Leno and leads to the fractured finger. And, and that happens. But Wentz has had injuries, other points of his career, of course, some far more serious than this one. Ryan Fitzpatrick last year, of course, suffers a season ending hip injury in week one. Alex Smith, you know, one of the most you know scary injuries ever. We know obviously derailed your, uh, your 2018 season. What is it? Kirk Cousins. I don't want to go back to that too much, but like in terms of a guy who can stay healthy, he never misses a game. And like, I think that's the most underrated aspect of the, of the decisions not keep him around. I know I'm bringing up a sore subject probably, but like, what is there something about him physically, athletically, mentally that helps him avoid injuries the way that clearly doesn't seem freak injuries or not that other guys around here are unable to do something I could never figure out because he's really not the biggest guy you know he's got thin lower body um, he takes great care of himself he eats well and he obviously does a lot of uh, yoga and stretching exercise it takes really good care of his body but uh, he's been very fortunate you know a lot of injuries are fluke type injuries uh, knock on wood for Kirk he's stayed healthy and he's been very durable throughout his career that's one thing you can't take away from Kirk he's been productive and durable his entire career and uh, that says a lot about a quarterback. Um, some injuries are just 
bad luck, you know, but staying healthy. Um, can't make the club in the tub. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no, 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 that did you see the, the, the picture or video the other day of him after they won cousins wearing like no. all the, all the, his offensive lineman has like all these, like going to really gaudy, all gaudy jewelry. And they put it on cousins, you know, and of course it looks incredibly awkward on him because he's not that guy. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send you that. If you haven't seen it, I, I imagine you'll, uh, you'll find it funny. Yeah. I'll get a kick out of that one. Maybe, maybe cousin's secret is he's a no, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, wait, say that again. I I think I was talking over you. Definitely not Kirk's style to wear that kind of jewelry. <laughs> no, one million percent not. Maybe his his key is segment life into fifteen minute uh, portions, and maybe that's that that's the way to avoid injuries. I don't know. Hmm. Um, all right. So let me ask you this. You mentioned that maybe Heineke's a certain, uh, skills will help this team sustain drives. They are currently last in the league when it comes to percentage of scores on drives this year. Um, but the other component is like, while Carson Wentz has been pretty good with some of the big plays, he's not able, he's not been able to find some guys underneath and keep these drives going, which is, you know, maybe what Heineke can do. How do you think that this will benefit? if at all, a guy like Terry McLaurin, who he's had some good stats this year, but he's been, it's been very streaky. They haven't been able to give him the ball much. Last year with Heineke, he led the NFL in contested catches, which I think at the moment we were all viewing as an indication of Heineke's limited arm. But at the same point, he's throwing him the ball. He's putting him in position, I presume, to catch passes that maybe Wentz wasn't. It, 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 do you think? How do you think this could benefit McLaurin, if at all? That could benefit them, uh, not just the timing plays, but the off-script plays as well, buying time and scrambling around and, and finding uh, Terry in different areas of the field where he may not have been on the scripted play. Uh, he can get more opportunities that, is, that way as well. But, you know, there is some merit to giving your star receiver opportunities when it doesn't, doesn't look like he's open. Uh, you, don't, you don't want to throw it like into double coverage, but if it's single coverage and it's, he might have just a half a step, you know, give Terry a chance because he does make those contested plays, but he needs those opportunities to do that. And Taylor probably gives them more than uh, Carson will. Carson likes to see guys open uh, before he throws them, uh, where Heineke may anticipate windows and give his guys a little bit more of an opportunity, which could lead to more negative plays, interceptions, but that also could lead to more big plays for Terry. Yeah, for for sure. Um, let me ask you this. So you're right. There are only one game out of a wild card spot right now. I mean, there's a lot of teams in that mix, so it's not like they're truly a game away but hypothetically they are um i'm gonna sort of discount that you're as a coach you're not going to i will a little bit because i just don't see a team that's looking right now like they're a playoff team that said rivera's teams have typically improved as the year has gone on but let me ask you this I, I feel like the trade deadline was not as big of a deal during your time it feels like it's only maybe in the last couple of years even that it's something we keep more of an eye on. Certainly not, still not close to the NBA, but a little bit more. W what's the line for you? November first is the deadline, so basically they've got a couple more games to go. You had a long-term deal here. What's the line for you between like I feel like I need to win this next game, I, and I know you didn't know have say necessarily in personnel moves, but the line between okay, I, I I feel like as a coach, it is my job to win the next game no matter what. But if I'm going to be here for more than just this year, 
there might be merit to trading some players, whether they're on expiring contracts, we know that we're not going to resign them or whatever that, that help that maybe helps you longer term, but, but would weaken your team now. How much did you ever think about that? Or what's that line for you as a, as, as a coach in, in, in that kind of thinking? Well, I think if you make a trade now, it's got to be to strengthen your team. You can't weaken your team right now um, with draft picks and trading away some of your good players. That just makes your uh, team question your decisions and your desire to win right now. So that's the hard part about doing something like that right now because you have to go address your team in team meetings and say, hey, this is for the betterment of our team long term. Well, a lot of these guys, they want to win now, you know, and, and that's what you have to do as a coach. So that's the toughest part is looking your team in the eye and say, hey, this is for the betterment of our team when they know it's probably not right now for the betterment of the team to lose a guy like Dron Payne, for instance, uh, for a third round pick next year. That's not for the betterment of your team. So um, you have to make sure everything you're doing as a coach uh, is trying to put these players in best position to win by getting the best product on the field. So that said, let me play the the devil's advocate. You mentioned Deron Payne. Let's just say they lose the next. I mean, if they're if they win the next two games or even split, I understand the argument at that point to just keep going. But let's say they lose the next two games. Last year they were two and six and won four in a row. That's going to be in the mind of people that hey, we could we could turn this around. But okay, that aside, if you don't think you're going to re-sign Deron Payne in the offseason because you've already spent money on John Allen. You probably want to pay Montez Sweat, Chase Young, can't pay them all. Somebody has to go, whatever. If you've determined that you're probably not keeping him, the compensatory pick you would get for him, let's just say it's the third round pick, you don't get that until 2024. If you traded him now, I, I've been told that there are teams out there willing to give up a day two pick for him. So you would get that next year. Is there not some benefit to making that move now, even if like the players this year are a little annoyed because Again, going yeah. forward, it's better. It's going to help you more. I think there would be merit in that if they felt like John Ridgeway or Daniel Wise or Casey Tuhill, whoever that is, can take his spot right. and play effectively as Deron Payne. Um, however, I don't think that's the case. I think he's one of the better defensive tackles in the league, and uh, they need him right now, especially with the limitations they have at quarterback and what their offense is doing right now. So they have to play great defense and you can't take away a piece like Deron Payne right now. Uh, you know, unless, like I said, they feel really good about those guys behind them. Then yes, then there would be some merit to it. Um, speaking of Deron Payne, the, the defense has played pretty well the last month now, certainly way better than it did the first two weeks. That front, that defensive front is, is leading the way Payne and Allen and Montez Sweat really uh, picked up his game of, of late what do you kind of make of what you're seeing on this defense? And then in particular going in this game against green Bay, who ironically is the team with the second lowest percentage of scores on drives this year. Yeah. I think they're playing uh, like we thought they would play all, all, all year long. You know, I think they struggled early on uh, for some reason, giving up big play after big play, but now they're starting to turn it on and uh, they have to um, green Bay is struggling, like you mentioned, with protecting Aaron Rodgers and the strength of the defense for Washington is getting after the quarterback. So that has to be a trend that has to continue for, for Washington to have a chance. If they give Aaron Rodgers time, I don't care who's running routes for him, he will get somebody the ball accurately uh, and, and make some big plays. If they get after him and make him struggle like he has the last couple of weeks, then they definitely have a chance to win this game. Well, I, I don't know to what extent you were paying attention to Green Bay this week uh, in their loss to to the Jets, but you know that offense is all as I said is not playing well. It would be insane 
to discount Aaron Rodgers because of his, you know, career and, and everything he's done, including as recently as last year. What are you noticing right now that is not working for them? Is it just that they lost Devontae Adams or, or, or defense is doing something different? What, what have you kind of noticed uh, uh, that's going on with them? I just feel like they don't have any speed uh, outside and, and to really to get separation. They haven't got a lot of separation. You know, some of the throws and the completions he's made, only Aaron can make. You know, I mean, geez, he's, he's throwing on some tight windows and tight coverage. Uh, to some guys, hole shots and, and scrambling, throwing comebacks, falling down. I mean, he, he's made some incredible plays still. But these receivers, they got to do a better job, get separation. And the running game, I think, has been disappointing despite having two of the best running backs in the league. So uh, something's up with their offensive line, what they're calling. I don't know what it is. They're not executing properly. But typically, Aaron Rodgers has had many seasons where they've started out kind of slow. I can remember him using the whole relax, just everybody relax, we'll be fine. Right. You know, it's poor with Aaron. They have started out slow. But when you have a quarterback of his caliber, typically they'll start turning it on once they get to playing together and those receivers start to get a little more separation somehow. Yeah, that that's a team, speaking of the trade deadline, where I don't know what receivers are out there, but that's a team I'm, I've got to be looking to see what receiver I could possibly get because it does seem like they're pretty thin over there. Um, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers can turn water into wine, but you still need, uh, <laughs> you know, you still need something to work with. And uh, yeah. Um, by the way, speaking of Rodgers, I don't know if I've asked you this before. Uh, he's obviously in the discussion for best quarterback ever. We don't have to get into Johnny Unitas or Y.A. Tittle unless you have uh, takes on guys like that. But like, wh- who who for you is the best ever? Is it? And, and, I mean, it, it it can be off of rings, and obviously we know who that is. But just watching them play, a guy you would want, like who who for you is? You know, where does Rodgers fit into that discussion? Uh, to me, it's Brady, Montana, and then probably Manning, Peyton, and then uh, Rodgers is probably right there, right below those three guys. Um, just based on the the historical wins that those other three guys have had, the production that they've had, and, and Aaron's great. I mean, as far as throwing the ball, and I'd take any one of those four guys, and I feel good about my chances on Sunday. That's what Aaron gives you. Uh, whenever he walks out of the tunnel, you have a pretty good chance to win if you're coaching Aaron Rodgers. And he's put a lot of coaches in head coaching roles. You look at Nathaniel Hackett, a lot of other coaches have come from Green Bay that have gone off somewhere else to be head coaches. It's because of Aaron and his success that he has and his talent. Um, so, yeah, he, he's definitely in the top five of all time. He's just a special talent and a great player. If, if I, it, my, my basic take, no, not that you or anybody cares, but my basic take is Brady is his collectively the best quarterback ever. But in terms of like the peak of their powers, I I would probably have historically had said like John Elway, but like Aaron Rodgers at the peak of his powers to me is the, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody play better at that position than him. Yeah. I mean, his arm talent is like no other. He could throw it deep, his quick release, he could put it in spots. He's got great touch, accuracy down the field, outside the pocket. I mean, he, he's, he, he can do it all. Um, all right. Well, look, you've said it all, Jay. I really appreciate the time as always. I know you're doing, you're doing the rounds in the DC media. You, you're, you're keeping up to date. You're, you're, uh, you know, you're watching all the games at the sports bar. You're, you're keeping busy. I appreciate the time and any, any other parting thoughts for you? Any words of wisdom you'd like to share with the people out there? I don't really have anything. I'm going to go uh, try to work on my handicap today. I got a big golf match tomorrow, so I got to get ready for that. And, uh, and that, um, just keep cheering and hopefully the commanders find a way to beat green Bay. Well, what are you going to work on? Like you work on your short game, your putting, like, what are we working on? I built a little bit. I hit this high fade. I'm trying to get rid of it. 
you know, my irons are fine. My chipping's fine. My putting's always terrible, but uh, I can't work on that. I don't know what to do. Do, do you, do you, I mean, as a coach, do you actually go seek out coaching or do you just try to figure it out on your own? TikTok. <laughs> Wait, you, you, you must have access to like golf pros. You, you, you're going yeah. off of TikTok. I just watch a lot of TikTok videos on golf. Lee Trevino is my favorite guy to watch. Tiger Woods has some good tips in there. Rory has some good tips. Phil has some good chipping tips. Uh, putting, I can't figure out, but, uh, but I've, I've learned a lot just from watching those guys. Have you watched any of uh, Paige Sporanic's uh, TikToks? No. I don't know who that is. Oh, well, Google page sporadic later and you'll find out. Uh, <laughs> I'll leave it at that for now. Uh, Jay, appreciate the time. We will, we will, we will talk. Good luck out there on the course. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Doing something. I don't think I've done this before on the podcast. I'm not sure, but we're going to record this next part while watching the wizards pacers game opening night for the wizards in the nba we'll talk commanders as well we'll, we'll, we'll view with the wizard from the from like a season preview perspective all the fun stuff and nobody better to do it with a guy who at this point he might be the is he the most famous wizards fan out there i mean it's like no even like john oh. king yeah no wolf blitzer is a, 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 a almost bullets fan yeah but he gets like paid to do stuff <laughs> <laughs> all right anyway I, I definitely don't get paid to do anything not certainly not you don't get paid to watch the wizard this is just uh you do this to uh, just to hurt yourself it is uh love joe, it's out of love out of love joe house from the ringer man of so many podcasts he's gonna have to tell everybody what he does but of course you can hear him all over the ringer bill simmons podcast he's got the uh fairway rolling podcast when golf is going he does a lot of nfl betting uh, what what's that one called that, it's just a ringer gambling show. There's two shows a week in that feed right now. Um, a Tuesday show that I'm on and a Friday show. Well, that should that that feed actually has shows every single day of the week. But I'm on Tuesdays and Fridays now during uh, NFL season. But the Tuesday show is going to have a lot of NBA content. So very timely for us to be on right now, Ben Standick. All right. Well, fantastic. All right. So it's 9180 Wizards, 959 in the fourth quarter. Um Interesting game so far. Uh, look, it's uh, we were saying right before we started this recording, and uh, this is arguably going to be the peak of the season right now because it's all optimism. We're excited to see what you can, what these guys can do. Get them out on the court together. Of course, there's already been an injury. Freaking Danny Abdiya like rolled his ankle, I guess. Um, yep. So he left. We probably won't see him for a few days, but some good stuff is happening. Uh, where game just in general, what, what, where are you at with the wizards? What's your optimism level for them going into, into all this, uh, shenanigans? Well, I, I'd say they're going to be like the 10th or 11th or 12th seed in the East. And they're going to win like 37 games. So what's that as an optimism level, uh, slightly below average, uh, but that doesn't mean that we can't be excited tonight. They're taking care of business against uh, a Pacers team that is clearly in transition. And by transition, I mean transitioning into tanking mode, maybe starting with tonight because uh, the almost bullets are now up by 15 with like nine and a half minutes left. And that's exactly what the team like Indiana should be doing, especially with the top of, of the draft that's coming up. 
uh, in this 2020-2023 draft, two franchise-altering players. Not one, but two, Ben Standig. Right. Well, I mean, look, if we were doing a different type of podcast, I would get into the idea of how depressing it is that the Wizards are playing for the middle of the pack yet again. And when when you have these alternate fun guys, uh, you know, franchise-changing players perhaps um, in the mix that they're not even going to really try to get, we could even get into, like, if things go south here, could you trade? Would it make sense to trade Beal to the Lakers for Westbrook and those two future first-round picks? But we're not even going to get into that because we're just going straight. We're going to get an optimism here. Like, this is a chance to see what's going to happen, and uh, you, 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 never, you never know. I, I will say this. Like, in terms of the level of optimism, right, sometimes we all get caught up in, like, the, the potential aspect of players. But sometimes you just got to look at like, okay, what do you actually have that's real, right? What they have that's real is obviously Bradley Beal, who is still one of the better players in the league. Porzingis is, you know, well, hopefully he can stay healthy. If he if he and Beal can stay healthy for 70 games each, give or take, and Kyle Kuzma, who is in, who has improved every year here, if he goes to another level like that, I'm not saying it's a big three, but like that, that that's a pretty good trio. Plus, Will Barton's just a pure score. The, the Monty Morris, DeLon Wright, you know, it's not Magic Johnson, but like it's, it's a competent point guard rotation. Wright will play defense. And then you've got, you know, Kispert can shoot. Denny's, uh, I like Denny's uh, IQ. Uh, Rui kind of drives me crazy. Like there's some stuff here that I could get excited about. Again, excited being relative. Like, if I'm going to watch this thing, I want it to look competent and good. I'm not saying they're going to win the title, but I could get behind some of that stuff. So so competent and good is a reasonable goal. It's just that the East is super deep this season. Like, the Washington franchise, unless something catastrophic happens to one of the top teams in the eight, you know, the top eight in the East, Washington's not poised to crack the top eight. Like the worst team Ooh. in the top eight is your is you get your choice of Atlanta or Cleveland or Toronto. I mean the the East is is very good. Atlanta, Cleveland, and Toronto all better than Washington. And I'm not prepared to say that Washington is better than Chicago or the New York Knicks. And those are the teams that they will be competing with for the nine ten spot to have a, a chance to, to participate in the play in and get the eighth seed and lose in the first round to Milwaukee or Boston. So it's just a function of, you know, a competent team with professional guys catching the East at a moment when the East is super tough, super deep, and just will not abide any chump teams. Washington is a chump team. It's perfectly fine. It's just, you know, uh, uh, it'll be fun to go to games. I, I'm going to go to a bunch of games um, this year. Uh, I think the league is is very deep, both east and west. So I'm excited to see a lot of teams come through. But the, let's be honest; like this is that they their their upside case is 43 wins, 42 wins. That's an eight seed in this in this Eastern Conference. Ben, do you disagree? No, I don't. I mean, I, I've been sort of saying if everything goes right, they have good health. Kuzma develops. I, I made a I made an ooh before when you were talking because Daniel Gafford had like a, a a running dunk down the lane and you know you get some electric plays out of him. Porzingis had one of those earlier. Will Barton, you know, and if any of the kids go up a step, like yeah, they could. I I could see a world where they could, you know, and, and of course like other teams have their problems, 
they could get to the six seed, but like I, I'm not saying that that that's out of a hundred shots, that's like a three, four, five percent. Like I'm not saying that's the realistic one. The the the, the eight, nine, ten, that's probably closer to reality in terms of you know if the breaks go their way what they're looking at which is uh you know again it's uh it's not great i mean what is it like four or five years in a row that they haven't had a winning record sure yes i mean (laughs) this is um in to be fair this is the legacy of john wall um successive injuries right? right like you're you're still trying to correct the uh you know quasi mistake of super extending wall and then wall not playing basketball for two and a half years um and so they were able to turn john wall into west westbrook into uh a bunch of you know former laker folks into a couple competent guys from denver plus kyle kuzma it's it is a competent basketball team and in previous years in the east it might have been a six seed but not this year um i honestly wonder uh so the schedule is pretty favorable for the balance of october i think they might end up washington might end up with a winning record in october november starts to get a little more challenging couple matchups um uh with with uh philly and uh you know there's boston's in the mix starting uh yeah go ahead oh no the schedule to me so i noticed this because where i noticed the problems coming it's on my birthday november 23rd okay okay miami back-to-back games boston minnesota brooklyn then you get a break with charlotte the lakers at bulls the pacers okay now it gets harder <laughs> Clippers. Well, I mean it Nets, yeah. Nuggets, Clippers, Lakers, Suns. <laughs> well, dude, be- before your birthday, like you I-, I think by the time your birthday comes, we'll we'll have a good view of what's going on. Listen to how November starts. It's Philadelphia on November the second, and then Brooklyn, Memphis, uh, Charlotte, and Utah are in there, but they play Memphis again, they play Dallas. Uh, they play Miami all all in the run up to your birthday. I mean, they do catch a couple games against Charlotte. Those should be wins. They do uh, have Utah in there. That should be a win. But otherwise, there are no other guaranteed wins um, uh, for really the, the entire month of November. And the games that you just rattled off November into December, if this team is, you know, through the first 25 games, w- what, uh, eight and 17 or so what do you think is is the correct move what's the play well you know there's <laughs> there's what i would do and then there's what i mean here here's the here's the thing and my and, and clearly our attempts to just be so per, super optimistic because it's not going to happen uh but uh yeah i mean this is the thing i i feel that they are more boxed in and have a lower ceiling than at any point since at least right before John Wall they got the John Wall pick because even in the years when they were terrible at least when they were bad like they weren't saddled with like you know you know crazy bad contracts you were starting over with younger guys they weren't being naive at that point and thinking well let's go get a bunch of vets and try to you know whatever and then you know then obviously Wall came Beal came they became a good team and like you said the last couple of years with Wall's situation, there was only so much they could do. 
um, you know, all that. But now you're basically locked. And also, like, we always constantly had the optimism of, or the or the or the or the intrigue of a Beal trade, you know, moving him for a bunch of stuff. That's now over. Well, it, at least for the foreseeable future, he he when's he eligible for a trade at, at the trade that before or after the trade deadline? I think before, but I'm just saying, like, what what are they? What can you get now that he's making two hundred fifty million dollars? Like the what you're going to get back in terms of stuff is not going to be nearly as interesting as it was. Um, so I don't know. I mean, okay, he, you, you want to know? Okay, here's the most optimistic scenario for the Wizards long term. <laughs> this is terrible. I don't wish injuries on anybody. But if Beal and or Porzingis get hurt somewhere early here, miss like 20 games, and the team, by the time that which they come back, the team is like one of the four or five worst records in the league. At that point, I would totally lean into the tank for the Wembanyama and uh, Scoot, Scoot uh, sweepstakes, Henderson, yeah. Right, and if that means the the hypothetical fake trade I came up with before of you know Beal to the Lakers or whatever, then uh, that's something I would consider because I would rather take the shot at getting one of those guys and kind of starting over than not. But other than that, I just don't know what they could what they could do. But what what do you uh, what do you think? Well, my concern is because the Beal contract isn't eligible to be traded until, you know, some number, some amount of time goes by, he is the one that should go first because that's the thing that will really, you know, grab the the, the draft picks that you need. They're going to be behind the other teams that are already committed to tanking. They will be behind Oklahoma City. They will be behind... Indiana, we're watching this team right now. It's it's going to be fun to watch Indiana. By the way, this year they they just chuck, they run and chuck, and and that's it. Like you know, look look for uh, I would say bet overs in Indiana games, except for they're not going to be able to score enough to get to overs. Um, but uh, you know, San Antonio is is going to be you know well under five hundred. Uh, Utah is is like by the time that Washington decides that the correct direction might be to go ahead and, and jump in to the lottery mix for those top two guys. They will be several games behind the teams that are already committed yeah. all the way in. And the, the, the real sticking point is, is Beal because he's the fulcrum uh, value play in, in, in the whole situation, but you can't move him until whenever it is that the collective bargaining agreement permits a player of his, uh, you know, who just signed a contract like his to be moved. Right. I, I listened to you and Simmons and Rosillo talk for God knows how long uh, about too various, long, too long about, but, but it was funny by the end, you and Rosillo were clearly like, okay, I'm running on themes <laughs> here. Um, but like you guys are trying to logically think about this, which is reasonable. But of course I say this for years when it comes to the wizards, you ultimately just have to under appreciate that Ted Leonsis is going to think a certain way. And that certain way is he wants to make the playoffs and he's not looking to go, go, go backwards. But um, in any event, it's one Oh two 92 five fifty left. The Pacers are on an 11 to two run. So the wizards were cooking there for a bit. Uh, what, what did you think? So Denny starts the game Will Barton comes in as the six man. I think that was the move. I like that lineup best. I always like one guy in the in the lineup 
who is looking to do all the things beyond score. And Denny can play D. He, you know, I'm not saying he's doing a great job, but he was guarding Halliburton, a point guard. Uh, you know, he, he's a he's got a high IQ, and you have other guys that can score. So I very, I don't know if impressed is the right word, but I'm impressed that they were able to get, have Barton come off the bench because Barton wants to start, but uh, they, they did that. I think it's the right move. We'll see now, of course, with Denny's app. What did you think of that? Yeah, the, the nitty-gritty of the lineup, the rotation, the way that these guys look in this first game, there is reason for, for optimism. I mean, you, you can talk yourself into um, a pretty good 9-10 to 10 guy rotation. Gafford looks awesome. He's only played 16 minutes uh, in this game, but filled up the stat sheet, 12.7 rebounds. Uh, he's got a block, but he's all over the place. Um, but, yeah, having – Wing depth is such a, a new concept for us, you know, for Washington. Um, genuine uh, uh, ability to defend. We'll have to see how long Denny is out. Um, he had a great Eurobasket tournament. Uh, he was, uh, you know, they, 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 I kept getting highlights sent to me during the, the during August of, of him um, playing very well. Um, and you have to remember how young he is. He, he's, is he, is, is he just, he's not 21 yet. I know for sure he's not 21. Um, so hopefully he, he's standing on the bet at the, you know, he's on the bench, but he's, he's standing. So he's not, he hasn't been, you know, carted off for x-rays or anything. So hopefully they've, they've determined it's just a, a, a sprain. I'd like, you know, Porzingis is getting open shots. He's five for 13 from the field, one for five from three um you know I'd like him to be a little bit closer you know seven out of 13 would make me feel better brad brad's having a good game nine for 16 uh two for eight from from three but you know they have a lot of different ways to score they have um wing depth there's no commitment whatsoever to defense which is why you know every every uh you know handful of minutes the pacers make uh, another run um to cut it you know single digits goes double digits single day you know we're, we're in this this uh, back and forth pattern, but I, 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 you know, until we see, and this is supposed to be, um, coach Unsell juniors calling card, um, a real commitment to defense, not unlike what we saw the first 10 games of last year, right, Ben? I mean, they, they were pretty in, they showed a real intensity defensively that really haven't seen it since, um, that, that, that's the remains to be seen with this team. If we see a commitment to defense, uh, then, then maybe I'll, I'll I'll be a little more optimistic. All right. Here's my favorite thing that I've seen so far, and I'm saying this with five minutes to go because I'll be curious to see if it stays this way, is that what has driven me nuts the last, I don't know, three years since John Wall got hurt is Bradley Beal thinking he's a point guard and initiating the offense, trying to get, you know, go one-on-one and all that. It is, I mean, he has turned into a pretty viable uh, off you know dribble drive guy, but in, in terms of like running the offense, there is no flow when that happens. Today in this game, from what I've seen, for the most part, he has allowed other people to bring the ball up the court. He's come off the ball, and it gives a much better flow. He, he's he's playing well. I I am thoroughly enjoying this. If they really have convinced him that this is where they need to go, I think that could be as big for this a big reason to think that they could make a, a jump as anything, but I want to see what happens in the last two minutes because <laughs> that could change yeah. as we're coming up here. Two minutes. Right, right, right. The That's right. Are up. 
Beal's actually at the line. They're up nine right now. He's got another free throw to go with a little over 440 left. Well, that that's a great point. Um, and, and that was a function of roster construction last year with absolutely no depth whatsoever. It was Howell Neto and Ish Smith as your, your point guard uh, combo for the Washington. Well, they had Dinwiddie, but even with Dinwiddie, Beal just kept doing the same thing. Dinwiddie didn't want to be a point guard. He he thinks he's a shooting guard. And this is the reason why after the first, you know, 15 games, um, there there was a quick souring. Something happened inside the locker room where there was a, a, a real lack of confidence in Dinwiddie amongst his teammates. And his teammates basically drove him out of here because, I you know, there was through that first um, bit of the season, some enthusiasm by folks like me that Dinwiddie had some alpha in him and could be a leader um, and, and was a, might be a guy to help, you know, tutor and develop the young guys. It turned out that he was none of those things. He's best served coming off the bench the way that he's doing for Dallas and coming off the bench as, you know, a, a combo guard. Uh, and that's his, his highest and best use as we saw uh, in the playoffs last year. It was not a good fit um, here in Washington. He was not going to play pure point guard. He didn't want to play point, pure point guard. He didn't play pure point guard. And so that's how uh, we ended up with Kristaps uh, Porzingis on this basketball team. A, a price well worth it for Davis Berton to move on to greener pastures, as far as I'm concerned. A hundred percent. I mean, I will say, like, again, if I strip away my, the analyst part of my brain and, you know, try to pretend that, like, they're not stuck in um, – uh, mediocrity or uh, what? What's the uh, yeah? You know, Oops, purgatory. Yeah, NBA, purgatory. You know, right. yeah. if I put that aside, I, I mean, I, Porzingis is a. I mean, they have a lot. They have more fun guys to watch. Porzingis, like when he plays, he's a you know a, an all star you know level player. And I think, like I said before, I don't know. I'm not saying Kuzma's going to get there, but if he can make some more strides, that would be fun. Um, I'm assuming because you are now an adult that you do not wear jerseys anymore, uh, uh, certainly not a basketball jersey of, of these guys. Maybe I'm wrong, and you'll make me – you'll correct me and make me feel no, sad. No, no, I, I do not, and, and – and no, I do not and have not, but I, I like to hang them up. I have one, yeah. you know, like this is nice. That's a nice Nike, uh, you know, DC from last year. Yeah, yeah. I like I mean, that. I have yeah. a Nene jersey somewhere in my house. I've never worn it, but it exists here. Yeah. Um, yeah. That yeah. said – if you put, if you were that guy, if you want, if you were going to buy the jersey of your favorite player, like ignoring the fact that they may not be here next year or whatever, who who would you pick off? If you had a one, <laughs> you're going to rock one jersey this year. Who would you wear? Gafford, Daniel Gafford. I love, I love his motor. Uh, well, and it works you out. Anticipating you, that because you're wearing the 21, you got the 21 jersey already. I I got it. I know. I know. I, 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 it's, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't, I have to take a, a, a pass. I'm not, I'm not, uh, it wouldn't be Beal. Um, I mean, as a, as a bar mitzvah boy myself, it might be Denny. Sure. Sure. That, that, that has, you know, that has a kind of logic to it. I maybe Coos, but Coos is so, um, you know, <laughs> low floor high ceiling <laughs> he's, he's so right. all over the place right well I have also, no idea. Like, it's hard to rock the coos jersey knowing his general sense of fashion did you see by the way this is my favorite thing ever 
they're doing the bobblehead this year for Kuzma, but they're going to make it with him with that horrendous pink sweater he wore last year. That was oh, like, that that's was like, brilliant. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, I'm gonna whatever game that is, I'm going to that one. <laughs> that's again, yeah, that's one. Let's circle it. Let's make sure we find out. I, I have to have that bobblehead. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, by the way, you know, I, I I'm not doing a lot of play by play in part because it's still a nine point cushion the wizards are, are, are holding on here. Um they have used a bunch of different players. Uh Anthony Gill has played some. He even started in the second half with um after Denny got hurt. Uh, unless I've unless I've missed it here in this half, the first round big Johnny Davis, zero minutes. I thought for sure we'd have an opportunity to like wager on whether he would make a shot if he played, because I don't know if he made any uh basically from summer summer league on i mean maybe he made like two and i'm not even exaggerating um oh man well look all all joking aside um depending on denny's uh injury situation they have 10 players that are professional basketball players i mean guys that deserve the minutes I, I why why have Davis ride the bench? Send him to the G League and let him play basketball. Let him find some some confidence playing against you know genuine professionals as opposed to the Big Ten bums that he played against last year. You know he looked like a man a, a, among boys because he was playing with boys. I mean the, I I don't the, the 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 perennial disappointment of uh, Big Ten collegiate basketball. It's 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 so unimpressive and. He needs shots. He needs to go play at a professional level. I would put him on the uh, on the G League team. Yeah, um, you don't just you don't agree. No, no, no. I I do one hundred percent. I my my issue is like, look, Jan Vesely is sort of the modern day big bust that they've had. But at least with Jan Vesely, I could see what they were hoping for. He's a an athletic 6'11 guy that can run the court, play above the rim. Obviously, he, his shooting was a mess, but like he could defend, he could do some things. It just obviously fell apart for a bunch of reasons. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I, I and even like say Troy Brown, right? Who, you know, it didn't work out. But like Troy Brown had a pretty good basketball IQ. He could sort of play like sort of like a point forwardy type game. I, I, based on what I've seen of Johnny Davis, I don't know what the thing is. He's a two guard who shot 31% in college last year. He's not particularly athletic. Uh, you know, he can't play point guard. They, and by the way, they already, the guy, even if he does enough, they already have a guy they're paying $250 million to to play that position. I, I don't know what he is on any level, even if he's just a role guy. And that to me is why I find this to be particularly disturbing because I just don't know what he can even do on a base level. Would you say the concept was wing defender because they knew that they were going to trade KCP? I mean, I guess, but like, like tough, tough, strong wing defender. I, I mean, maybe. I mean, like, not that you you can be a good defender and not be the most athletic guy in the league, but at that position, you kind of need to. You know, I don't know what his wingspan is, but he doesn't look like a long wingspan guy. He's definitely not like I'm trying to be generous. Yeah, I don't know. I'm working hard over here, Ben. (laughs) 
All right, the the wizard that we're under a minute ago. Ooh, the Pacers just hit a three. It's 110, yes. 105. All right, this is a you know they, they got to make some real plays here. Hashtag, oh. yeah. Hash, hashtag so wizards coming oh right at you, Ben. Tur- turnover. Yes. And was that a foul? Oh no, good good defense there. Uh, the Pacers, Pacers ball, thirty two and a half seconds left. But yeah, the Wizards are making this way too uh, interesting for a game that they've largely been in control of the whole time. Who's on the oh. really since since the tip? Oh my lord! Uh, <laughs> Matherin just hit an insane yes. reverse. Gets fouled yes. on the on the inbounds. Gets fouled. He's going to the line with a chance to make it a two-point game with 31 seconds left. I just said two minutes ago that there wasn't that close because the Wizards are holding on, and now it's a two-point game. Yeah, that's uh, how we do it here in in, in Washington. Now, Matherin, t- to be fair um, to Washington and, and uh, the Brain Trust that came up with Johnny Davis, there are not a ton of guys as we look at last year's draft beyond the spot that the um wizards Correct. drafted that you would say you know that the, 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 the maybe um duran who is on detroit maybe jovich uh down in orlando those are the two guys who had kind of standout um performances summer league and preseason but uh you know the draft really was like eight guys deep and washington did not move into that top eight yeah no that that's fair it's not like there's somebody like when they drafted Troy Brown, I'm like, uh, Kevin Herter, Robert Williams, like even Lonnie Walker, I kind of liked all those guys who were sitting there. Um, you know, when, when you know, when they took Denny, uh, Hal Burton's on the board, yeah, and all that. Um, all right, oh, Indiana, uh, Harrow was on the board, right? All right, Indiana missed the free throw. The Wizards have the ball. Will Barton just hit one. There's 14.8 seconds left. Um, I really do like Will Barton. I mean, I just love a guy like he's just a Me professional too. scorer. He's uh absolutely. Guy, he he I, he's gonna have he's always gonna be ready to go. And I like that coming off the bench. All right, Indiana fired up a three, miss got wait. Oh wow, okay. They got the offensive rebound, put it back in, but the ref called over the back. Huge play here. By the way, we should mention, I didn't mention, I don't think, Miles Turner did not play in this game. I think, what did he, sprayed his ankle an hour before tip Allegedly. <laughs> oh, is yeah, the, it's exactly the, right. The, the tank is starting uh, game the, one? The tank is in. Like, you know, it's Indiana. Like, well, what are they doing? What's the point? Like, they know um, whatever the status is. We watched the Lakers last night. Extraordinarily underwhelming. Looked very much like last year's iteration of the Lakers. Do you think that there might have been a phone call in the wee hours last night or the early hours of this morning between Los Angeles and and uh, Indiana? You know, that was the the rumored trade that's been out there forever. It seems like um, the Lakers, the, the reports are that the Lakers have been disinclined to put both picks in for whatever insane reason. But, you know, yes, Miles Turner did not play in this game. It's a very interesting turn of events, Ben. <laughs> that's a wacky. I have never understood in all this discussion over those Lakers picks why everybody acts like they're the most valuable thing. I understand the concept, and if LeBron was still on Cleveland and you said, hey, in three or four years he'll be done, those things will bottom out, I get it. This is the Lakers. Like, they have the opportunity every year to get 
more or less whatever superstar they want. So why does anybody think that LeBron's going to go A and they're going to be a 20-win team? Um, Look at their record over the last, you know, eight or nine years. They're, I know. They're, they're, they're bad. They're, but, the only the, – the only standout is 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 the summer league camp uh, championship that they won down in Orlando. Well, I mean, they did win an NBA title, even though it's uh, I put the asterisk on it with the. Uh, yeah, it was summer league. It was summer camp. Oh, that one. You mean. Oh, I got that's you. the one. That's what I'm calling it. <laughs> I got summer it. camp in Orlando. They all, with all the campers were together down in Orlando, and, and they won the camp league. Congrats. Yeah. Well, like I I blame. I mean, not to defend the Lakers, I blame it partly on they had Tommy Boy running the operation until his his sister came in and took over, and then LeBron is. You know, I, I know you know your guy Simmons likes to you know call like david Kahn like the worst gm ever i think lebron's got to be in the mix because he is, <laughs> i mean all the moves are just terrible the westbrook i mean imagine if they just don't make the westbrook trade forget everything else you would have kuzma you would have kcp uh you know mantras Harold maybe is gone like just even having kuzma would be a huge difference to that team and he lebron just over and over again just seems to want certain guys he either knows or likes or whatever. So I don't put that completely on the Lakers, I guess is my point, even though I'm not saying they've been good. Um, and look, it's LA. Who doesn't want to play there? Well, I, I mean, let's just, I, I, I knew it wouldn't, it wouldn't take me but a second to pull this up. Um, starting in 2013, 2014, they won 27 games, 21 games, 17 games, 26 games. 35 games, 35 games. And then in the COVID bubble season, they won 52 games and then followed that up with 42 games uh, two years ago. But last year, 33 and 49. That's a pretty sustained run, pretty, pretty good looking sustained run of garbage. You know, if you if you read that, those numbers off to me and said that was uh, Washington over the last eight or nine years, I, I'd say, oh, that sounds about right. I mean, I, I wouldn't be that surprised. All right. Wait, hold on, House. We have breaking news. The Wizards start the year one and oh, one fourteen, one oh seven. Congrats to the Wizards. They uh, they get it done. They fend off uh, this team. Uh, you know, if we were saying the the start of the game was the peak, the peak just went up because say what you want, House. They are undefeated. Um, the game so Washington covered. Indiana was 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 favored. The under came through, notwithstanding the torrid pace of shots going up in the first quarter. In the first quarter, scoring the first quarter started off the, the Wizards up thirty six to twenty five. I thought for sure and over was in the offing um, for personal bragging rights purposes. I had Brad Beal at over five and a half assists tonight. I think that, that, uh, that could be a sustained kind of thing going on. Six assists for Brad Beal tonight. So we, we collected on that one, but you know, across the board, you see 10 professional players um, collecting, collecting minutes pretty well allocated. I thought uh, coach uh, WUJ did a good job and, you know, fairly balanced um, scoring five scores in the, in, in double figures. Uh, the rebound leader was Kuz with 13 rebounds, but Zinger in there with 10 uh, and Zinger had, didn't have a good shooting night five for 14. Otherwise, you know, he should have, it should have been a 20 and 10 for, for, uh, for the Zinger. Um, but, you know, hope springs eternal. One to know the way it should be. 
Right. And you mentioned the professional players. Like, I don't know how much Taj Gibson has left. I've always been a huge fan. And I think his toughness uh, will, 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 will help at a minimum in the locker room. But like, you know, I think he could play in there a little bit. I'm glad he's not playing over some of the younger guys, but that's a separate issue. Uh, yeah. So Beal, 23 points on nine of 17 shooting, still not great from three, two of seven, but six assists, three turnovers in 38 minutes. Uh, what else? Kuzma, 22 and 13. Porzingis, 15 and 10. Barton, 17. Gafford, 12. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I really. Yeah, mate. My, my favorite stat here might be 10 blocks by Washington. Like, I, I like that. That's good rim protection. It wasn't all Gafford either. No, Porzingis uh, and Kuzma both had two, as did DeLon Wright, who, uh, of all people. So look at that. It's, that's I, I like that level of activity. One of the curious subplots to the season, Rui Hachimura betting on himself uh and not not signing you know i don't know what kind of offer was made in the way of an extension but they they couldn't come to terms is the report on Rui's uh fourth year extension uh minus 8 plus minus uh the worst of anybody with over 20 minutes to play tonight uh and three turnovers to go along with his seven points that will be an interesting subplot this year ben I mean, we didn't talk much about Rui. I have to say, like, I, 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 every year there's always a couple, one or two guys that I just want to sort of, you know, bash my head into a wall. Um, often one of those people was Scott Brooks, but he's gone. From a player standpoint, most of these people, most of these players, like we said, professional players, you know, there'll be quibbles here and there, but they're generally fine. Rui is the one, though watching him play he a couple times tonight he's like drive he, there was one time where he got a rebound a defensive rebound drove down the court with the ball there were three defenders back he runs into them like he's uh you know brian robinson trying to break tackles and get you know i think he got a block on the play but like his he has like no he's like the most straight line player ever he has no wiggle he doesn't have a feel for passing I I understand he shot well last year from three. I'm not saying he has no value, but the idea that he's going to be some breakout guy, I just don't see it. And he I, looks like a guy that's been playing organized basketball for about 12, 13 years tops. And that's because he's been playing organized basketball for about 12, maybe 13 years tops. He has, he shows none of that innate court sense, none of that, um, you know, intuition, the, the, the court IQ stuff for guys that have been playing since they were uh, tiny kids. And that's not a knock uh, on him. He is, you know, a below average NBA talent and maybe he'll be successful in some other place. It's not going to be here because I don't know who he should be getting minutes ahead of. It will be, he'll get Denny's minutes now because uh, of Denny's injury. And we'll know um, soon enough, what that looks like in terms of Denny being on the shelf, but Denny's a much more promising prospect to me than Rui. And also I agree. And also like, you know, Kispert's still hurt. And at least, you know, we talked before about what can Johnny Davis do? Kispert can shoot. And I don't know about the rest. Kispert can shoot. Right. And, and at least, you know, in this league, in this era, that's huge. So he can play on the court. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so like to me, Denny and Kispert are the two younger guys that I find most interesting, at least to be role players. It's maybe disappointed that none of them to me project to be starters, but at least they can help Rui. I, he'll be out there. I just, like I said, he's just going to drive me crazy three, four or five times a game. And uh, you know, that, 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 that's a frustrating. Well, I, I don't want to hijack your podcast, but, but you, you mentioned Brian Robinson. I feel like now's a fine time to pivot away from the wizards. This is the high point of the season. We've saw, we've, we've seen their, their very best. They're one and oh, and they beat a team that is in, 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 intends to lose as many games as possible. Congratulations. We're off to a hot start. You had uh, the segment that that preceded me on this podcast, I believe, is Jay Gruden. And there is so much intrigue about so many aspects of what's going on with the Washington football team. I refuse to use the name that you must use because you are a genuine professional journalist. I call them the C words. That's as far as I'm willing to go. Um, my first question, how enthusiastic insider wise does the team seem to be? With Taylor Heineke at quarterback. I thought you were going to say your first question for me was, have you started therapy and or drinking over the last nine days? Because it's been <laughs> it's been an absolute nut nut, nut job. Uh, since Taylor, it's since, been great. You you love it. You live for it. Oh, my God. It, it, <laughs> it is. It's been an unbelievable ride. Uh, so many things have happened. Um, here's what I guess I would say, like my take. I've said this before in the podcast, going back to training camp and getting my first look at Wentz on a regular basis. It has played out exactly the way it's played out here. He makes some incredibly pretty throws deep, but just doesn't seem to have a good feel for the underneath stuff and the, the pocket presence and all that. And so I would, I'm sort of polling the other reporters like, okay, I'm not talking about for the long term, but just for one game. Who would you rather have, Wentz or Heineke? And my basic answer was, I think for one game, I think I would go with Heineke, in part because I don't know what's going to happen, but I know he can pull, he can make the plays, you know, the draw the play up in the dirt kind of stuff and figure some stuff out. Over the course of time, we get it. It's probably not going to be a, a thing. Limited size, limited arm, all that. So I think, I, I mean, I'm not saying like, you know, I, I the, people have necessarily said this but just based on my vibe i don't get the sense they're like oh no okay we're we're back to the backup here this is a mess i think they're like you know what taylor's gonna make plays he's gonna give a lot of effort people are we're gonna rally behind him and he can get us through here the next few weeks and then we'll see what happens that i'm not surprised in any way shape or form to, to hear that sentiment i honestly thought there was a possibility that you would hear quiet enthusiasm because this team sort of talent-wise, especially on the offensive side of the ball, should be at an absolute bare minimum three and three. Four and two is not out of the realm. Like, if you looked at that schedule coming into this season the way that that I did, and especially with the talent on the offensive side of the ball, and hoping for just, like, some, some basic return to um, the type of pass rush aggression and, and you know, can they get off the field in the, on third down – all those defensive kind of, of quandaries, but it, I thought it was reasonable to hope for them to be three and three. Um, and really Carson Wentz single-handedly sabotaged uh, a couple of those. Now, some of those, uh, um, some of those losses to me were, were, were coaching losses. I mean, they, they showed up completely ill-prepared 
for Detroit and Detroit out, out dodged yeah. them, out foxed them, out managed them across the board. But, um, and the Carson, offensive line's been, you yeah, know, between the injuries know. and just being messy, they haven't, they haven't helped. The lack um, of depth there also. And you, you chronicled that. Y- yeah. Yeah. No, for, 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 for sure. Um, I think like, you know, we talk about, and I've been, of guilty is the right thing but like i've said I, carson went is a theoretical upgrade because of his size the arm strength all that stuff what we have learned for, for definitively is uh, other places may have already learned it but now we've seen it he is not a guy that can prop up an offense he needs to be propped up himself and they didn't do a good enough job at that but the one thing i think also that he doesn't do a good enough job of that heineke did last year is at least put the ball in a position for the playmakers to make plays when Terry McLaurin yes. last year led the league in contested catches. I, I know I was thinking about, okay, maybe that's a sign that Heineke is not, doesn't have the, the arm strength to get him, you know, to lead him downfield or whatever. But now seeing it, it's more like, okay, Heineke was at least no, he, he knows what he is and what he isn't. And it was at least putting the ball out there for those guys to make plays. And, and it's just not been happening uh th- this time i think that to me is one of the reasons why the offense has not been as you know, explosive as it should be yeah i've been very deferential and complimentary over his tenure that of, of scott turner but th- the way that um we've seen wentz deployed this season like the, all of those seven step drops um that led to like directly to sacks in against that philadelphia team and the inability to adjust on the fly now some of that might be the inability of Carson Wentz to adjust on the fly. It might not be something that, that Turner really feels like he has control over. I just think that with these weapons and with the comfort level, the natural comfort between Heineke and Turner and the short game, the accuracy that Taylor has um, and, and what you're describing, like let's get the ball out of Heineke's hands and into the hands of playmakers. Curtis Samuel reminder great uh you know uh within two or three yards of line of scrimmage getting the ball and, and going off jet sweep or or whatever kind of bubble screen stuff he's been a real uh weapon and you know antonio gibson could be deployed a little bit more in the in the in the passing game in any event um this upcoming week super interesting no no reason that that washington and, and against this depleted green bay team um that is very bad against the rush brian robbins looked awesome last week um no reason that washington at home with the 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 heineke era like you know if you break this season into into thirds and that's the way that an 18 week um schedule kind of plays out we take the two and four carson wentz experiment put that in the rearview mirror the Heineke experiment starts fresh right now. Let's jump on this this um, Green Bay team that that's down. I'm going to let you go in a second, but we have to talk about Dan Snyder. Uh, I know it's all that you've lived and breathed the last you know 72 hours. Well, well hold on, but before you get to that, just to quickly on to wrap up that other point. Last year, according to True Media, uh, Taylor Heineke targeted Terry McLaurin on 25.6 percent of his throws. This year, Wentz targeted McLaurin on 16.4% of his throws. Um, So, like, you know, again, if McLaurin's the best receiver, which he is, throwing the ball to him more often would be a good thing, and Heineke did that last year. Anyway, let's go on to the uh, really fun topics of the the Washington Commanders. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, yesterday was in it was wild. I was on the radio uh, at nine eighty, and I had just said that you know there's really interesting stuff with es with that ESPN report and other things, but I don't know how far they've moved the ball. I mean, if you want to tell me they moved it from the thirty to the thirty five, and it's second and five, okay. But like, I don't know, whatever. Then while I was while I'm saying this, the Ursay Jim Ursay quotes came down. Um, and as the footage is coming in and watching more, I'm like, okay, I don't know if they've moved the ball from the 30 into the other team's territory, but we're, we're uh, it, it, something happened. Th- there was something was a, more here. Yeah, that gets characterized uh, in NFL parlance as an explosive play. <laughs> that one counts. <laughs> right. that, that, would, that, was, boy, that was a 20-plus yarder. Right there, Ben. And the commanders do give up a lot of explosive plays. <laughs> They're very familiar with that. Um, so here's, you know, God hope springs eternal for, for in my cor- uh, corner uh, of the world. The question I have for you is, was that Ursay saying the thing out loud that is the prevailing sentiment within a certain constituency of NFL ownership? God, please let that be the case. Or glass half empty that's just ursay being ursay off on his own you know uh uh, on his own path in his own place just letting everybody know that he's king of his own kingdom which one of those two what do you think well i mean i generally think that owners you know these are all like typically older guys and they they they, they, you know they, they follow parliamentary procedure robber tools of order so even if they agreed with him they don't. They probably find it distasteful to discuss their their business out in public. Jim Ursay is off the reservation. His whole personality is he lives off the reservation. He right. His whole personality is just doing his own thing and Mazel tough to him. But I so I guess I kind of think it may have been him doing his own thing. That said, okay. Numerous reporters who were there said that they've talked to other people who make it clear that they agree with Ursay. I guess the thing is, like, you know, it's always about the numbers. You've got to get 24 of these good guys or women to vote to kick out another owner. And Jerry Jones is always viewed as the one who's going to potentially defend Dan Snyder. I know that ESPN story said that maybe he thinks he can't do that anymore. I, I'm not questioning the ESPN story. Seth Wickersham and Don Van Nata, that, you know, these are heavy hitters. Sure. Beyond reproach, but like mostly. a lot of the things, right? But a lot of things were in there, like even about the notion of Dan Snyder hiring private investigators to dig up dirt. It wasn't proof; it was hearsay. They were told yes. that he said this yes. thing, and and that to right. me, like even with the Jerry Jones stuff, who has come out and said, "Eh, I don't know. I didn't really know a lot of that stuff," or he'd said without Ursay, like, "Eh, I, I, you know," he he kind of downplayed it. That to me is sort of like. The Ursay stuff got a lot more attention for all the obvious reasons. Anybody, any owner saying anything is interesting, but I, I don't know. Maybe this is just my general pessimism. Maybe I want to, maybe I just keep saying it's never going to happen. So I want to believe it. Even if I, for everybody's sake, which Dan Snyder would, would not, you know, we, we could move on from this one way or the other. Um, So I don't know. I mean, it's interesting though. I mean, the fact I'm curious to see what happens next. We're still waiting for multiple investigations to come out. And maybe if there is more there, that that will get these guys to go from being, you know, a little formal to saying, screw this, let's move on. But uh, 
definitely was interesting that it happened. It's not like Roger Goodell scolded Ursay or anything. He no. Well, the the the, the two things that concern me as a person that is ready for regime change and has been ready for regime change for more than a decade. Um, first of all, the NFC East power center prefers to have Daniel Snyder right here in Washington. It's a guaranteed, you know, at, at least one win, possibly two wins every single season. And on top of that, whatever economic impact of uh, an extraordinarily bad Washington franchise represents it's most directly f- born by and and felt by the owner of the Washington franchise the league writ large is not put in at in economic distress because Washington sucks because uh uh, uh Dan Snyder ruined a, a top 10 franchise because people won't go out to Prince George's County and attend those games that hurts Dan Snyder's pocketbook, but it doesn't hurt the other owner's pocketbook. The TV contract takes care of of all of that. So, you know, notwithstanding, my hope is that they're all rational economic actors, but at least as far as the Philadelphia franchise and the giants franchise and the Dallas franchise, let's keep Dan Snyder right where he is. And it's not really ultimately costing any of them meaningful money in terms of you know gate and disinterest in washington it's just the ruination of a storied franchise i mean i think we saw that at during covid when obviously nobody was going to games and it really i mean obviously it affected their bottom line sort of but not really i mean they still were profitable um you know because of the tv deals and and other marketing things i i guess for me like we keep talking you know the way we're all talking about this I, i think the thing that's just so scary is is that you know if somehow the owners vote, decide to vote him out he is clearly going to be litigious and fight this thing and i have no idea what that means does that mean uh, a two a year too long two year long court battle uh, you, you know words everything's just going nuts like that and it's just constant it's just even more depressing or and plus you know i don't know i don't you know who knows what would happen right I, you know i mean I, they could say they have the right to, to get him up, out but who knows and then it's the other way, you know, if the Mary Joe white investigation for the NFL or the, or the oversight committee, you know, has stuff, but it's nothing. That's the smoking gun that puts that, that, that really puts a cap on it. And this thing kind of goes away. Well, then Dan Snyder is who he is. And he might even feel more emboldened. And, you know, at the end of the day, they've made the playoffs five times this century, six times since he bought the team in 1999. Um, I see people in my comments all the time, saying stop stop talking about dan snyder focus on how crappy the roster is or the coaching whatever and i'm like look he's the guy who's the one constant and he's choosing who's making the the coaching the picks and the players and all that that's the thing it, it you know and by the way who do you think they're getting if they let's just say they fire rivera at the end of the year who do people think they're getting they're not getting a sean payton they're not getting the hot up-and-coming coordinator it's probably i'm just making this up like some sort of Rex Ryan guy, like a, a coach who's still guy who still wants to coach, but nobody's hiring him. So he'll say, oh, screw it. I'll take the money. That That's where this is at. So that's why this feels, you know, I feel like we're not, I feel like we're not getting any resolution on this anytime soon, one way or the other. Yeah. I, I'm inclined to agree with you. I mean, it was an eyebrow raiser uh, out of Ursay, but there are still, I don't even know if we're halfway through the book yet. And that's, 
depressing, but um, the Wizards are one to know. So we have that to hang our hat on, Ben. Thanks for having me, buddy. We do, uh, Joe. I definitely appreciate it. Uh, tell everybody where they can uh, find you again. You're in you're in more places than uh, you know. <laughs> you're, you're like a you're like a, you're like a 22 year old like you know person who's on like every platform doing 100 things. Where should everybody look for you? Yeah, I, I mean, I think of myself as a five-tool podcast player, Ben. So I, I invite myself into as many podcasts as I can on the Ringer Network. But I'm on every Tuesday uh, on the Ringer Gambling feed. That that show is called East Coast Bias with Raheem Palmer, uh, formerly of the Action Network, and John Dostremski of the New York, New York podcast. And then on Fridays, I'm on with Warren Sharp, the, uh, and the renowned Warren Sharp of um, NFL uh, analytic esteem. And... Uh, off and on, you know, golf is still going. There's a great big golf tournament this coming weekend down in South Carolina at a club called Congaree, the CJ Cup, which would normally be played in Asia, but Asia isn't quite ready uh, to host Western golf tournaments again. Um, all the best players in the world are playing down there. So we did a podcast this week, Fairway Rolling. But Tuesdays and Fridays is where you can find me on the Ringer Podcast Network, uh, in addition to days that I invite myself on the Bill Simmons podcast absolutely you are a, a, a very good guest on there if i didn't know your situation i would just assume you were a uh an NBA, a true nba analyst um when are you when are you going on the road have i asked you before why aren't you on the rewatchables is that not your bag I, you have i've two- been on a, a couple different ones i have to pick my spots i mean that's a very uh estimable franchise they don't let any old joe off the street on there with chris ryan and sean fennessy uh amanda dobbins juliet lipman those are heavy hitters in in you know the movie and culture space so uh, i have to pick my spots tin cup might be in the coming in the offing though there you go i was gonna say what's the what's the movie for you that we get you on that's a good one i like i like tin cup that would be good to hear you on there all right my guy i appreciate it wizards one always let's see what happens (laughs) see you man see you